0: Oh man, are your lungs hanging out yet? All right, go ahead and have a seat because I know you're just like wiped out if you're like me. I got to preach now, but I'm cranked up. I can't, I can't wait to share with you because we're talking truth right now. We're speaking truth right now. We're singing truth right now. Aren't you glad that we have a God who turns ashes into beauty? I mean, he, he transforms lives and changes people, that's really good news. And it's not something of the past. It's not like, yeah, that's the God of the past. He does that stuff. He used to do that stuff. He's still doing that stuff. And he wants to do it right here today as we get ready to open our Bibles um, and look into his Word. So I just want to start with this. Um, This showed up in my yard not too long ago. Um, so, like, would you be okay if I just left this in my yard? I mean, I have to ask permission now because I don't know what I can say and what I can't say. I could definitely say that. Are you sure? How about this? You know, somebody told me they changed their, like, Wi-Fi password to this, Jesus 20. That's an awesome password right there. But um, would you be, I I don't know. I'm I'm asking permission, I guess. Is it okay for us to be, to want to make the church great again? (laughs) You know, somebody, did you hear that? It's always been great. You're going to totally change my sermon now. That's a good question. Has it always been great? What makes the church great? What makes the church great in the world? Is the church great right now in the world? We all want to say, of course, the church is great because the church is Jesus's right? Is the church doing the job it's supposed to be doing? How about we ask it that way? Is the church being the church? Is the church having influence like it's supposed to have? Well, we're going to work on that. Are you okay with that? Are we okay to work on that? Can I leave this here and not get in trouble somehow? How does it work, and if the church needs to be revived, and if the church needs, if if something different needs to happen for the church to be great, then what does the church have to do? I want to say this to you as we get started, and I want you to, can you just settle in with me? I'm going to talk about a lot of different things today. I'm not going to go get through the whole sermon, okay? So I'm only going to get through part one, like point one, truth number one on your notes, and we're gonna pick it up next week and I'm gonna finish it. But I gotta to talk to you about some things that I think are vitally important. And when it comes to making the church great, um, here's what it needs to happen. What needs to happen is that those who have been truly born again, because I hate starting things this way and saying this, but not everybody in the church, in the church, is born again. Everybody in the church of Jesus Christ, everybody who's in the church, who's in Christ is born again, because there are no people in Christ who aren't truly born again, but not everybody who enters a church door or says that they're part of a church is truly a Christian and is truly born again. But for those who have been truly born again, if we're going to make the church great again, we have to have a proper view of God and then have a proper view of ourselves, which will transform the way that we live before everyone in the world. That's what it will take. And it's a pretty simple statement, but that's what it takes to make the church great in the world. I've got Psalm 119.9 on the screen for you. It says this, how can a young man keep his life pure? So that's a great question. How could a young man or a young woman keep their life pure? How do you do that? What's the answer? the scripture tells us, by living according to the word. So somehow we've got to have connected God's word with the way that we're living and that produces righteousness in God's people. John 17, 17, Jesus, in his great high priestly prayer before he was crucified, this was his desire for his church. He prayed, Father, make them holy. And how do God's people become holy? Through the word. Make them holy by your word. Your word is truth. And then the theme verse of our series that we're in right now is John eight thirty two, where Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's all about truth, my friends. The church of Jesus Christ is all, ha, let me just put it this way, the church of Jesus Christ has to be all about truth and there, have to be, there has to be foundational biblical teaching that we rub up against that will change our hearts and guide our feet to help us know how to live in this world in which we're living in. Foundational biblical truth that we must elevate, first of all, rehearse in our own personal lives over and over again, and ingest if the church is to be the light that it is called out to be to make a difference in the world to make the church truly great again we must be a people who are equipped and i want to say this carefully so i want you to hear these words that i'm using i'm choosing them carefully we must be a people who are equipped to gently and correctly and respectfully Challenge any and all false doctrines and false teachings, which we're calling fake news, wherever we encounter it. We must hold Christ and his biblical truth, his word, so close in our hearts and our minds... That we are, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3.15, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. There's a lot packed in that little verse right there. Because somehow we're supposed to be living, as a church of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be living in a way that the people that aren't in the church of Jesus Christ are looking in and they're seeing because of our love for each other and because of some kind of hope we have inside of us because of the truth that we have inside of us, they desire it, and when they desire it, they're gonna ask us, how is it that you have all this stuff in you that I don't have in me in my life, I don't see it in my life, and we are all supposed to be ready and prepared to give an answer to anybody who asks about that hope that's in us. That's how we change the world. Now, I'm going to just kind of sit in this for a little bit, because I've had many people lately in our church here, because we have a lot of people that are in a Baptist church for, a first, for their first time, <laughs> and this is what they're asking me. What kind of Baptist church are you guys? Because you're not like what I've always known Baptist churches to be like. Um, so what, what are you guys? You know, like, are you a denominational Baptist church? Are you part of the a, a Baptist denomination? Um, are you independent? What, what are you? And, and like, what I see when I come in here is not what I've always had in my head as a Baptist are or experiences I've had in a Baptist church. In fact, if you were raised like I was raised, I was raised up my entire life in what's called a regular Baptist church whatever that means, (laughs) but I was raised in a regular Baptist church. I was raised in what a fellowship of churches called the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, very fundamental, very, um, we don't do church like that anymore, And if you're part of a regular Baptist church and you were to come into town and, like, move into Elkhart or move into Bristol and come to our church, you might say, hang on a second, false advertising. You guys aren't a regular Baptist church, at least the kind that I am used to. And I'd like to say, you're right, we're not. And I want to explain to you what we are, okay? I think it's important that you understand that we're... If I could change the name, I I would change it to not first, I, I would change it from First Baptist Church to something like First Bible Church, except that's a problem because we would be associated with the Bible Baptists, or we would be associated with the Bible churches because there's a denomination of that, and so we would be associated with that, and that wouldn't work because that's not what it, that's not what we are. So I would call us the first biblicist church. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that you need to understand we're not Baptist by denomination. We're not part of a denomination. We're completely independent. We're we call ourselves Baptist and we are Baptist because we're baptistic. Okay, we're not Baptist because. That's what the Bible calls us. The Bible doesn't call a church. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. The true church of Jesus Christ is called the church of Jesus Christ. And in the, Old, in the New Testament, it was the church in Jerusalem and the church in Ephesus and the church in Antioch and the church at Philippi and the church at Colossae. And that was the church. It was all the church. So we would be the church in Bristol. One of the churches in Bristol is what we would be. But somehow we have gotten historically into denominationalism and we've categorized each other and we have different ways that we look at the scriptures. But I want you to understand, we are Baptists at First Baptist Church because we hold to the Baptist distinctives. I'm going to let you look that up and work on that yourself. I'm not going to go there, okay? The Baptist distinctives basically say these are the things that we think are important that the scripture teaches about how to do church. And it's basically about governance and, and church polity, okay? We set that aside, though, because that's like a sidebar to who we are. Because we are a Bible-believing church. That's what we are. We are, a, we are biblicists. In fact, I would call us, except I'm hesitant to, an evangelical church. Not evangelical as in denominational evangelicalism, Evangelical in that we celebrate and we promote evangel, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we hold high God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what Christ called His church to do from the very beginning. Not all the other stuff that we're involved in, or that churches have historically been involved in. I want. Can I show you that um, the difference between an evangelical church and the mainline denominational Protestant denominations here? are some distinctions for the evangelical church today. And this is what, this is what makes us up. So get rid of the name, even, you know, because they're, you know, you know out in the world right now they're all talking about the evangelicals, right? They don't even have a clue who evangelicals are. They, have, they think evangelicals is all religion, all religion. And in our political system, they want all the churches, all religion to get on their side. They don't understand this. This is what evangelicalism is, okay? You ready? It's gonna be on the screen for you. Here it is. The Bible is the sole and highest authority for what we believe. That is the number one foundational doctrine and principle that we hold to here at this church. That is what the Church of Jesus Christ is to be all about. That the Bible is the only thing, and anything else that is written is not a complement to the Scriptures. You do know that nothing has to be a complement to the Bible. The Bible stands on its own, inerrant, and authoritative in all things life in Christ. You don't need anything else. If you have something else, it has to just come along to support what's already been spoken of. But if you say, oh, I need to write a compliment to this to, to help put my spin on it, you've totally misunderstood God's word. This thing is alive, What you have to say is not. This is alive and powerful and active. It is actually God's word given to us and preserved for us. And so the Bible is our sole and highest authority for what we believe. Number two, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the Only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of sin. There is no other way to salvation except through the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, that's pretty narrow, Phil, exactly, but we didn't make it up. We're going by exactly what the Bible teaches, and the Bible teaches that there's only one way to salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ. By faith, through grace, and Some denominations have chosen to add to that. That there are, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jehovah God. I believe in Jesus Christ's son. I believe in the virgin birth. But we also teach and believe that there has to be some other things that you have to do and add to the salvation plan in order for you to be saved. That is heresy, it is false teaching, it's fake news. That's what we, that's what we believe the Bible teaches because the Bible is our sole authority. Third, man, you're getting all cranked up, Phil. I know, I'm sorry, I'll calm down here a little bit. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior will receive God's free gift of salvation. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't give your way to heaven. You can't do good work your way to heaven. You can't be kind to people your way to heaven. You can't missionary your way to heaven. You can't baptize your way to heaven. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone, by grace, through faith, alone in Jesus Christ, will receive God's free gift of eternal life. Number four it is very important to us to personally encourage all non-believers to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is what the church is all about. This is the Bible definition of an evangelical church. And this is what we strive to be. We don't strive to be Baptists, my friend. We want to be the church of Jesus Christ that follows the Scripture. We say yes to what's called the sola scriptura, The Bible alone. We say yes to the gospel, and we say yes to all of the major biblical doctrines that are clearly spelled out in the scriptures. Can I give you like a summary statement? Here it is. I'm going to have it on the screen. Evangelicals build their lives and ministries around truth, and we trust in the Bible as our highest authority... We depend on Jesus Christ's atoning death as the only sacrifice that can remove sin's penalty. We affirm that salvation is received by grace through faith alone, and we share the gospel with passion and urgency. If you want this run-on sentence, I can give this to you. I can make it available on our website or something, but this is in a capsule. This is what the church is all to be about. This is what First Baptist Church stands for. Now, You okay so far? I I felt like I've lost everybody at this point in the first service, so you with me? You still with me? I just think this is important. I haven't even gotten to the sermon yet. You know, somebody said after the first service, you got to like, whatever. You'll get it in just a minute. All right, mainline Protestant denominations, and I'm not gonna get into naming them because it doesn't matter, but they have historically said yes to some of the basic Bible doctrines, but they have said no to others. And in so doing, they create their own version of God's truth in order to support their preconceived views of God and his people and how they're supposed to live in this world and their view of God. That's a problem. And you might be like, well, why are you making such a big deal and drawing these distinctions? Does it really matter? It absolutely matters. You can't be loose with regard to the fundamental biblical doctrines that everybody, every unsaved person must say yes to. You can't be free and loose with those. They're not up for interpretation. There are some things that you and I can disagree on in the scriptures. There are some things that are interpretive, but the the, the main biblical doctrines that I have laid out for you are crystal clear in the scriptures. They're not debatable. And you can't add to them. You can't mess with them. You can't be loose with them. You can't miss them. Because if you do, you will totally miss what God's trying to accomplish in his eternal plan for people. And you're going to end up leading people down the wrong path. Evangelical theologian and pastor Kevin DeYoung said it this way about what we're talking about. It matters because views of the Bible set people and institutions on very different trajectories. Institutions that have rejected the Bible's entire trustworthiness, especially as it relates to authority and inerrancy, which is there's no errors in it, have often gone on to embrace beliefs incompatible with the gospel. This controversial issue is a theological line in the sand. Listen to me closely. Shooting and wandering even a degree outside the parameters of the literal interpretation of the scriptures, a biblical understanding of the human condition salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and the personal commitment to the great commission will result in a trajectory that lands you far outside God's redemptive plan for man that's the danger of that God's word my friends is like a road map to eternity everything in it is pointing towards the restoration of man from his sin and the salvation of souls if you start messing with that, then you're taking people way outside. The scripture is our compass to guide us and to keep us on the straight and narrow path. It is a straight and narrow path. It reminds me out in the wilderness. You know, we're, we use maps and compasses out in the wilderness and we're out in the big, vast wilderness, we don't know where we are, and especially guys that have never been there before, we'll give them a map and a compass and say, okay, do you know how to use the compass? And you know how to read the map? Okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna get us from here to here, and if you don't, you're gonna have a lot of angry, um, hungry men when you, if you don't get us where we need to go because we're gonna end up at this point. But here's the problem. If they don't know how to read the compass, if they don't know how to read the map, if they're not familiar with the map and familiar with those tools, all it takes is one slight alteration, one slight degree off. And you know how it works, right? Just a little tiny degree here ends up being way over here later on because you just keep drifting farther and farther and farther. And I'm telling you, I gotta say this carefully. You're gonna hear me say that Satan is in mainline denominations, okay? I'm not saying that. But Satan wants to get us off of the narrow truth, the clear truth, just a little bit. Because if he can get us off just a little bit or just add one thing, all we gotta do is add one simple thing to salvation. And I, you need to hear this, the scripture is clear. If you rely on anything, then the blood of Jesus Christ and by grace through faith alone for your salvation, then you are earning your way to salvation and you're missing the whole thing, thinking that you're on the right ship, but you've missed it. That's why it's so important that we hold to his word. Joshua was told by God, be careful, Joshua. Be careful to obey all that I have given you in my word. That's what he said. Not be careful to obey everything Moses interpreted my words to be or the way that people feel about my words. It was you be careful. In fact, you spend so much time in it that you memorize it and you soak yourself in it and you meditate on it and you ruminate on it so that you could be very careful to do everything that my word says. Don't turn from it from the right or to the left, God says to Joshua. Be very careful to do everything I have written in down, and then you will be successful, and then you will be prosperous, and your feet will be directed on the right path. We trust in God's word. God has clearly and simply delivered his foundational doctrines to us, and you don't need a pastor or a priest to explain it to you or to interpret it for you. And you'd be like, did you just say that? Yeah, I did just say that. You know why? Because no pastor or priest can open your eyes to the truth of God's word. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You don't need a pastor or a priest to interpret what God says to you. You just need to open up his word. This is the beauty of it. It's powerful and it's alive. And as you start to read it, the Holy Spirit will enlighten your eyes, will enlighten your heart, will enlighten your mind, and you go, yes, I believe this and I can see this because the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. That's how it works. I could preach to you all day long and unless the Holy Spirit's in it and speaking to you, it'll just be like, "Nay, nee, and you'll, you'll just get out of here and you won't do anything with it. It won't change your life. I can't change your heart. Our eternal and earthly security is not found in somebody's or some denominational interpretation of God's word, but the clear, simple truth found in the pages of his authoritative, infallible, preserved word for his people. Have you got that? All right. I told you, right? I'm not gonna get through the whole sermon. You okay with that? You guys okay that need to have the space filled in if I don't tell you the second point? Okay, till next week. I will give it to you next week, so you gotta come back next week, all right? But let me just go here before we jump in. We're gonna be in Isaiah chapter six, um, but let me just take you here um, because here's a fundamental problem in the evangelical church. in an attempt to fight off the legalism of our fundamentalist forefathers, um, we have drifted, I think. In concern over legalism, we've drifted into license, and the result is that the church, God's holy people, have stopped being distinct and separate from the unbelieving world around us. It's harder and harder to see the church as distinct holy people set apart from the world. That's why it's harder and harder for the people to see the church as great. And I'm gonna sound like a typical Baptist right now, okay? I'm gonna, because you'll be like, oh, there you go, being all legalistic. I'm not being legalistic. It's reality. I have to speak the truth to you. The problem is the church doesn't look any different nowadays. It it needs to look different than the world. But we we are seeing the same same rate of of sin and everything else in the church that we see in the world, and it's not supposed to be that way. The Bible is clear it's not supposed to be that way. Same rate of addiction, same rate of civil dispute, same rate of sexual indulgence same rate of marital issues and divorce and abuse of all kinds. And I got to just tell you, that's not how we make the church great. Paul is clear on how to make the church great. In Ephesians 5, 3 through 4, I have it on the screen for you. Among you, there must not be even a hint. Am I, you're not taking this wrong, are you? Right? I, this is not my opinion this is God's word, among you, my holy people, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or even greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I'm not speaking this to you and taking it as a hammer and bashing you on the head with it. I I was so rocked to my core, and I have taught on this. I have counseled through this. I have read this so many times in my life. But as I sat down and read it, I had to stop. And This in my office. I had to stop and weep at this point as I was working on this. Because I fail so many times from being what God wants his holy people to be. And I blow it. How many times do I go to him and say, I did it again? He goes on, Paul does in Colossians chapter three, and he says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality and purity, lust, and evil desires. Don't worship the things of this world because Of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but the point is you're not part of the world anymore. You've been called out from the world and set apart. Now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language and stop lying to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature. All things have become new. So verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. Did you notice that last sentence? As you learn to know your creator. How do you know your creator? Through what he has said. The truth of God's word has got to be the preeminent thing in every one of our lives and in the life of the church. This is how Christ's church must live. These are the things that we're to put off and put on if we're gonna make the church great again. And now I'm done with the introduction to the sermon. And now we're going to go because all of that I said so that we we all understand who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to focus on these two fundamental doctrines and foundational doctrines, the glory of God's holiness and the depth of man's depravity. Today, we're going to work on the glory of God's holiness. Next week, we're going to work on the depth of man's depravity so you get a week off from feeling bad about yourself until next week, all right? So that's the title of the sermon for you conservatives, for you radicals. The sermon title could be this, I am bad to the bone. That could be the sermon title, and we'll work on that more next week, okay? But today's goal is to find a proper view of God so that we will have a proper view of ourselves. You ready? You still with me? Still with me up in the balcony? One person's nodding. Okay, two, three. Okay, thank you, four of you. All right, good, very good. All right, go to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six. It's in the Old Testament. This is a prophet. If you go to the middle of your Bible and hit Psalms, just go to the right, and it's a big book, so you can't miss it, okay? Isaiah chapter six. Truth number one if you're on your notes, is this. God is infinite in his holiness. We're not going to compare our holiness to our partner or to our buddy sitting in the pew next to us. We're not gonna view our holiness as a church based on the church down the street Um, The Bible says that we're fools if we compare ourselves to ourselves and by ourselves. So we're going to compare ourselves to the word and rub up against the scriptures and up against God in the scriptures. And so hang on as we look at his infinite holiness, and we're going to use that word infinite means this, incalculable, unmeasurable, unfathomable, unalterable, and undeniable is God in his holiness. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted. So if you notice that Isaiah saw the Lord, and we don't know if Isaiah is awake or asleep, whether he's awake in like a daytime vision or if he's asleep in a nighttime dream, but here's what we do know, and this is a really cool fact of this passage, we know that he has been somehow supernaturally transported to the very throne room of God, the God of the universe, the creator of all things. Now you go like, "How do you know that, Phil? How do you know it was just, just he just had a dream? Because John tells us in John 12:41, that Isaiah actually saw Jesus in all of his glory, and he was referring back to this time. So somehow he is supernaturally transported and he is standing before the pre-incarnate, which is before Christ became man, the pre-incarnate Christ. He was looking at the creator of all things, the second person of the Godhead. He's not seeing God the Father because the scripture tells us that no one has ever seen him and lived. God the Father, but he is standing before King Jesus in all of his glory, and Jesus is sitting on the throne high and exalted. He had this view of Christ he has never had before, and it fundamentally changed him. Let me say this, and I want you to hear me clearly. If the church loses or has lost its moral sense, it is because it has lost its high and exalted view of Christ i can't substantiate what i'm about to say but i'm afraid i can't i, can't, I don't have proof okay in other words but i'm afraid that it, it's possible that the nearness of the incarnate christ christ becoming man and coming down to be man in all of his patience and tolerance and long-suffering and grace and mercy, instead of coming down as the God of judgment, that somehow we have lost the shocking sense of his transcendence of who he actually is, that somehow we've turned Jesus into like our buddy or are, you know he's called the friend of sinners so yeah he's my buddy he's we're we're close you know we're good friends or that somehow he's my brother because i'm joint heirs with him in the kingdom of jesus christ so somehow he's my brother we are just hanging out together and he's totally okay with my weakness he's he's totally okay with my sin because he totally gets me when we get to that point we have totally lost A vision of who Jesus Christ, the vision that Isaiah had here as he saw the Lord. And contrary to the lies of the enemy found in the pages of false doctrine in some churches and their practices, you and I and all who have ever lived and will ever live on this planet are nothing compared to the king of glory seated on the throne, high and exalted. I have in your notes this, and I want you to write this down because one author said it this way, and you ought to make a poster out of this and paste it, post it, tape it, do something, nail it to the doorpost of your house. Jesus is not a little better than us. He's not a little higher than us. He's not a little more powerful than us. He's not a perfected version of us. No, he is incomparable in all of his glory to anything else in all the universe. That's who Isaiah saw. Can you see it? And let's keep going. Verse, The second half of verse one. Not only did he see Christ seated on the throne, exalted, high and exalted, but he saw that the train of his robe filled the temple. What does that have to do with anything? What is that? Who walks around with a train on their robe? Well, in their culture... If you were a high exalted person, you had a train attached to your robe, and the length of the train signified the grandeur of your honor and your splendor, kind of like a bride does with a big long train. And with that in mind, if you notice, the train actually fills the temple. His splendor and his grandeur and his honor is like layered, that train is like layered back and forth, back and forth until it completely overtakes the temple, the throne room. It's filled with his glory. It's filled with his splendor and filled with his honor. Look at verse two. Above him, hopefully you're getting a scene and you're getting a sense of this. Above him were seraphim. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Now, this is a real cool fact. This is the only place in the scripture where these seraphim are referred to. In fact, they're called the burning ones. They're like the on fire burning angels and there's two columns of them above the throne and they're facing each other and the scriptures, what he saw here was they have six wings, you got that? Okay, two of them, they covered their face. They totally had a proper view of who Christ was sitting on his throne because the two that covered their face symbolized, I can't see you, you're too high above me, you're too transcendent, we cannot see you. The two that covered the feet are basically saying, you can't see me, because if you do, I would be dead. I cannot stand in your presence. And then with the other two, they were serving the king of glory. And so for all eternity, these seraphim, these burning angels, are lined up against each other, and they're saying in the scripture, it says that they're calling out, verse 3, to one another, loving, loving, loving is the Lord Almighty, And they have like, you know, daisies in their hands and they look like Jesus people. Is that what the scripture says? No, no, it should be this. It should be merciful, merciful is the Lord Almighty. Or patient, patient is the Lord Almighty. Or loving and gracious is the Lord Almighty, right? Now, what do they choose to focus on? Let me just ask you this, is God, is the Lord Jesus Christ merciful and gracious and loving and patient and kind? Absolutely he is. But to have a proper view of Christ's love and a proper view of Christ's grace and his mercy and his patience, you've got to understand that holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty and the whole earth is filled with his glory. That's the vision you have to have of Jesus, the proper vision of Jesus. Because holy means this, holy means separate, totally separate, totally distinct, and set apart from anything else. Not separated by distance. That's important for us to understand because God comes close to us, but separate like completely different from anything else, completely distinct, not like us at all. Do you get it? And you, you might ask, you know, like you kids might ask, why did they say it three times? You ever think about that? Why does it like holy, holy, holy? Why did you say holy is the Lord? It's because in the Hebrew language, to repeat something was to emphasize the force of it or the force of the subject at hand. So it would be like this, Sean, you know, you and I are Hebrews, okay, and we... We speak the Hebrew language. And so I call you up because I'm having trouble. I say, Sean, um, I'm in a deep ditch. I fell into a deep ditch. You'd be like, dude, that's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. That, that's bad. I'll pray for you. Okay, but if I called you up, now we're speaking Hebrew now, and if I called you up and said, Sean, I fell into a deep, deep ditch, you would say to me, man, that sounds serious, Phil. Do you need me to come over? Why don't I come over and help you get out of the ditch? But if I called you up and I said, Sean, I'm in a deep, deep, deep ditch. You say, Cosette, call 911. Get the ambulance. I'm going to Phil's. He's in really big trouble. Do you understand how that works in the Hebrew language? And so what we have here is we have holy, holy, holy. Not just holy is the Lord God Almighty. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Everything in all the universe joining in the chorus that there is a thrice holy God who made this and everything in it and is choreographing all that is in it to complement his honor and his glory, not your glory and not your honor and not mine. He's working for himself in all of this. I had somebody the other day say, how selfish is that? And you know what my response to him was? The only reason you would say that is because you totally don't get God. You need a proper view of who God is. Otherwise, you would never say that he's being selfish and wanting all the glory for himself. Verse four says that at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. How awesome would it have been to be in that place and, and experience that? Can you see the scene? Here's Isaiah, this normal guy, and when he is confronted by the infinite, unmeasurable, infallible, undeniable, unalterable holiness of God Almighty, how does he respond? That's what we're gonna talk about next week. So let me just sidestep and finish this with this. Do we... As an evangelical church today, do we have a true vision of Christ in all of his glory? You okay if I ask you that question? Can I go, can I go like closer to home? How do you approach the throne of God with your life Every single day. Do you acknowledge the fact that the thrice holy God has a plan that he's called you to, he's called you out of the world to be holy and distinct to live in the world for him and him alone for his honor and for his glory to accomplish his will on earth? Or do you get up every day, put your feet on the floor and say, okay, what am I going to do for me today? I just have to ask you that question. Because we come to church and worship, that's awesome, okay? But if the only thing you do is come to church to worship, you're totally missing what he's called you to. And you'll never help make the church great again. If you go through all week long not worshiping the Lord with your life and like understanding that you're serving almighty God and you're serving his son Jesus Christ who has given himself for you and calls you to something greater than yourself and you don't see everything you do, every conversation you have, every trinket that you create, every assembly line that you're managing, whatever it is that you're doing, everything that you're doing is designed to accomplish His will on the earth, then you've completely missed the glory and grandeur of God, your Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for you and what He's called you to. You've told, you don't understand His glory. You don't understand your place in it and what you're called to do. I gotta just challenge you on that. You can just change the way you think about it. I'm sure that this vision... That Isaiah had, it completely fundamentally changed his view of of who he is in relationship to God and Christ. How do you come to church each week? Let me just go there. Can we go there? Am I allowed to? Will you let me in to that? How do you approach this? I mean, this is power. People of God who possess the Holy Spirit of God gathering together before the throne of grace to lift high the name of Jesus and then open our hearts to his word to receive what he has to say so we can go out and change the world. That's a powerful thing that happens. And I just gotta say, and I'm way out of time, so just deal with it, okay? Just like hang with me. Okay, just for a couple of more minutes, because if you want to know what legalism is. Legalism is, I came to church. I'm a good Christian. Are there people who aren't good Christians that attend church? Yes, there are, unfortunately, but just because you came to church doesn't mean I'm a good Christian or I gave money to the church or I did something special for somebody or I gave somebody a hug while I was at church or I served in the children's department. If that is your view of Christianity and your walk with God, you're totally, you've added something to the scripture, you're missing it by a degree and you're way out over here somewhere because that's not Christianity at all. I have to challenge you and your thinking on that. Okay? And next week is going to get worse. (laughs) But here's what's going to happen next week. Next week, we are going to respond. And we're going to see how Isaiah responded to the confronting glory of Christ, the terror of his glory, and how he responded. And then challenge ourselves about how we respond to all of that. But I can't think of a better, more appropriate way to respond to what we heard today than to just stand to our feet right now and we're here. And as his redeemed that can only sing the song, that can sing the song that the seraphim cannot sing because they have not been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and redeemed. We, the redeemed, lift our voices in worship to him. It's like 1224. And because of the whole internet thing, we might lose you online. If, if so, in the middle of this, we're sorry. We're just gonna keep singing our lungs out for a while. And we love you and ask God's blessing over you and your life and appreciate you joining us today. We wanna help you in any way that we can. But right now, let's just do it. Okay, come on church. Let's just worship before the king of glory, the holy king of glory. your voice, come on. In the power of the Holy Spirit of God in the name of King Jesus as you go out in all of his glory, right? For his glory, for his honor and serve him with all you have. God bless you, my friends. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. for Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.